Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the Made Sessions with Cliff Central. My name is Mbali Njomane and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Tadiza Sundi. Girl, say sup. <laughs> Hi everyone, good to be back. We're excited to bring you part two of our podcast on raising South Africans. Our guest today is a very near and dear friend of mine. We've been friends for 13 years now, I think it is, um, which honestly is pretty much a lifetime to me. Actually, I, I, I feel like I've known you my whole life and it's pretty much. Yeah. You're just one of those rare people that I think I knew in past lives. Yeah, definitely. Um, Anyway, we've been friends ever since she tried to to beat me up <laughs> on camp in in, in grade nine. Uh, very awkward because she's like quite a petite girl, um, and I was I was a bit of a largey back then. <laughs> so it was quite it was quite a scene. And then I made you spend the whole night up while I drank my mid lemon and searched around for and something who, to make who, me feel better. Who does that? Having just beat you up. But why would I do that? Like, how pathetic was I? I must have been and, an absolute doormat. And then you, like, decided you were going to do Science Expo with me, and then that was it. You I were going to be BFFs like, I forever. I honestly feel like you have some some power, some, some, like, some brainwashing power. <laughs> I swear it was voodoo. Because I, I had absolutely no reason you like me or even look at me like i was so gross to you it's horrible i know i've just got so much character <laughs> yeah girl the love in your you heart agree, hey, you now look I, I, I agree. <laughs> okay <laughs> joke anyway um yeah so she's here her name is lorato say hi hi everybody and lorato has a, a great story like many south africans her mom was a domestic worker sadly she died when lorato was just 10 and she was then adopted by her mom's employers. Anyway, I'll leave it to her to tell you the rest. But we wanted to have her here today to flip the script on part one of our podcast on raising South Africans. In part one, we spoke about um, domestic workers, or we spoke to a domestic worker, rather, who has helped to raise children for South African employers. Uh, she's worked for several families. And so we wanted to to kind of get her perspective on, on, on parenting in South Africa because I think it is such a crucial topic, uh, not just for parents, but for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, but today we want to talk about what happens, on the other hand, when employers raise the child of a domestic worker. So, Talisa, why do we think this is an important discussion? Um, <clears throat> so, as somebody said, this is literally the the inverse condition of part one. Um, and it's quite a prevalent condition in our country and it comes through a myriad of ways. So sometimes it's from the death of parents. It's from a loss of a parent's rights to their children, mm. which is actually quite an extensive topic in itself. Um, sometimes it's a loss of rights. Shucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. And sometimes they don't, uh, maids don't understand that they're sort of writing their children's rights but I don't, away I don't actually... or the rights to their children away. How would that happen? Um, Sometimes it has to do with the contractual um, stipulations mm -hmm. that are often not not really that clear, um, and and that's why I say it's quite an extensive topic because these are, are new conditions that I'm discovering myself. Um, but I've seen this in a couple of cases that they, you know, a parent that is a maid loses the right to their children without them knowing. Loses, so that is loses the right to. To whom? To the employer? Yeah, to the employer. So the employer, but what would in a happen? way, has has more access 
through rights to the maid's child than the, the like, maid herself. What kind of, what would have to happen? You know, what mm. kind of gross, well, one of, one of negligence the s- or abuse <laughs> would need to occur for for that to. Yeah, well, well, one of the stories actually that I that I read up on was something that happened in 2008, um, and it was a man that went to the court without the maid knowing, and got custody of her twin children without her knowing. Are you telling me that and employers out here are going to court and stealing? Well, kids from domestic workers. <laughs> this is a huge allegation. <laughs> it's also like um, in Australia when all of those Aboriginal children were just taken from their homes mm. and just sent elsewhere because that would be a better life for you. Like, mm. whose decision is that to make? Yeah, and he decided to get custody of the children because but how he, did the court grant him custody? He said that she drank too much and she was a bad mother. Oh my goodness. And it was on that basis that he what went okay, to. Okay, so here's let me and won and he won custody without her even knowing okay. that he went to begin with. So so here's my problem. My problem is not the man who went to go get custody. My problem is the courts and the law that allowed for that to happen without even having spoken to the mother or doing a solid background but check. Also, mm. my thing is it's one thing to lose rights. Like I guess, like I get, I get losing rights to your kids if you're, like I said, grossly negligent or if you're abusive. And in the case of alcoholism, I absolutely understand. But there's a difference between losing rights and then losing rights to somebody. So yes. losing custody to your employer. That's what I'm, I'm kind of. That, that's what's messing with me here. Yes, I, I agree. It was quite a, a shocking thing for me to read. And but I'm still trying to his, understand. Did he have kids? Did he want kids? We, we don't know. Like the, the story literally doesn't say. So I don't know. I don't know the full extent of the story, but it is a very but also interesting to condition. an employer, which is also very distant. I feel like surely the courts need to do a background check and see if there's a relative that's closer to the child exactly. rather than an employer. That's so distant. That's, that's a completely distant, that's different life. But I think that's a, I think that's actually a separate show. <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> this is literally yeah, this is why I think it is, it is too extensive to speak about it in 10 minutes. But it also just but it's a very so I interesting think vulnerable these women are you know mm, yeah. and when you're that vulnerable and you have that little um materially and in ju- just in terms of a voice and in terms of um self-esteem i think uh, people can take pretty much whatever they want from but you. that yeah. but that is why the law is supposed to protect exactly just. triple yoke of oppression so irrespective of how weak you are effects. in society the law is supposed to stand for you. And the fact that it didn't, and it so easily didn't, yeah. is really quite an issue. I mean, this whole space isn't regulated enough, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it almost, for some reason, it just isn't on people's radar, is what mm-hmm. I realize more and more. It's like every time I talk about a domestic worker, outside of the context of, of their work, and if I talk about them as a human, as a, a human being, as mm-hmm. a person, you know, mm-hmm. as a full person, consummate human being, mm-hmm. uh, People are surprised. It's like, yeah, you know, I I also get a lot of questions that 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 roughly say, you know, what can you get out of maids? Why would you be interested in hearing anything the, yeah. from them? Sorry, can I just say something before we continue? Mm. Even to this day, the term maid in the context of a domestic worker this, makes me feel so th- profoundly uncomfortable. Every but single time you say it. I literally I absolutely cringe. Agree with you. I've never, I've never I been able to cringe. say that word. I, I can't do it. I've never been able to say that word. That's who it is. But I, let I me tell you. Okay, so let me tell you. What, and have to correct everybody that says it. Let me tell it. you. Let me mm. tell you why we've done this. Um, 
we've put it in the title. And we've changed it from M-A-I-D yeah, to yeah. M-A-D-E mm-hmm. to try to disempower it. Mm. Because the truth is, people are going to say it. You and I might not say it, but people are going to say it. And, and if people are going to say something, say then you need to find a way to, to take away its power. Well, surely you can just teach them not to say stuff like that. Yeah, because it's like saying boy, right? Garden to boy. To a gardener. Garden boy. I but mean, I mean, what is that? also, I mean, they, it's strange because they refer to themselves as that. They, they don't use the term maid when they refer to themselves, but often mm. they'll say, Ikel, a girl. So yeah. she, they'll talk about, oh, you know, um, my friend's, my friend's girl. Ikel, Oh, wow. What, uh, yeah, okay. You're, Being the way I'm, that I am, that would completely stump me. I'd be like, okay, the girl, and then. What girl? <laughs> yeah, but they among themselves will yeah, talk about being girls. Yeah. I'm a girl. I mean, uh, w- wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, shucks. Let's. Let me just quickly wrap this mm-hmm. up. So, so uh, you know, so you've heard there's there's sometimes parents' rights that are lost, which is really going to be quite an interesting topic we can extend on. Um, and sometimes it's financial incapacity um, on the part of the the parents as domestic workers um so if you speak to children that had this reality which was being raised by their bosses um you'll discover that they've got very interest intricate social um manifestations and it sometimes stands as exaggerated reflections of what we see in greater society so yeah we're going to explore this further with lerato as she's a product of that yeah i mean like you're the expert here. Mm, we're still mm. just speculating um and we could speculate for days but let's, let's i wouldn't say i'm an expert it's no, you are. It's life. An, it's, everyone is an expert dude, on their own experience. life seriously um and i think that actually this this will be helpful to a lot of people I uh hope so. okay so break it down for everyone that okay. I talk. what is your story so when I was born in Petersburg Hospital and um, I stayed home growing up in Petersburg and eating bup and rolling instead of crawling up until I was about 14 months old. <laughs> and then I moved to Parkmore and stayed with the family, the employers of my mom. Mm-hmm. We stayed in the back room and then we moved to Parkhurst and then we moved to Linden when I was 10 years old. And my mother got very, very ill. Same family? Same, it's a different family in Linden. Okay. Same family in Parkhurst, different family in Linden. Right. Um, we weren't there for very long. I mean, we moved in January and my mom fell ill mm-hmm. around March. Mm-hmm. I mean, May, April, around there. So she fell ill and um, she asked um, the, her employer's son's wife at the time, to look after me, you know, while she, because she was kind of incapacitated. Right. Like she couldn't really get out of bed or whatever. So she spent a lot of time in hospital and spent a lot of time in the homelands being looked after by her mother. The homelands. The homelands. The Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And um, then one day she passed away. And I found out the following day that my dad had passed away the day before as well. So he said she had hold passed on, away hold on, on the hold same on. day. So you actually need to, I think, stop and explain this for people. Your <coughs> parents passed away within a day of one another. No, on the same day. On the same the day. The very same day. Mm. Shucks. Yeah. You know what? 
it's strange because I feel like because I was bombarded by the loss, I was able to contain it a lot more than if it had been sep- so stagnated. Is this a joint funeral we're talking about? Yes. So is a few this... days after the call, My there was a joint funeral with the two coffins next to each other in my Bantustan and Limpopo. And um, yeah, they're still buried next to each other to this day. I mean, you must be so devastated at that point that like you're, you're not even able to feel. I, I was 10. I was completely numb. I was, com- I was thinking about what I had was going to wear to the funeral. Yeah. I was, you I can't, because so your mind numb. cannot conceive of that. Like no. my mind, as I'm sitting here, cannot conceive of that. No, no. You know, mm. your, your emotions literally, I mean, because I, I feel like emotions genuinely do have a cap. Like it is possible to feel too much. And I think at that point, there's a tipping point. At that point, when you're feeling too much, then you go numb. Yeah, I remember seeing my aunt crying and there were just no tears in me. I was just, I think I was just completely, completely broken without realizing it. Which I think, I mean, if if it had happened when I was older, I would have been so much more aware and so much more heartbroken at the time, I think. Mm. So in some ways, I don't know. 10 is old. I remember 10 vividly. I also remember 10. 10 is old. But anyway, um, okay, so what happens... What happens after the funeral? So after the funeral, I'll go back to um, the people I was staying with who then um, decide to adopt me. And nothing legal happened, but I was just living with them and I was the, they were my legal guardians. Okay. And this was on your mom's request? This was on my mom's request. I found out very recently, actually, I found out about a month or two ago that my mom had asked this woman um, who was taking care of me to take care of me to make sure that I don't go to my family in Petersburg and to make sure that I finish school and get a good education. Okay. And it's probably important to note that they were white. <laughs> yes, that's My always white parents. That's always important, I find. Elephants in the room. <laughs> um, okay, and I mean, I don't know if you want to just touch. Look, we'll 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 go into it. Okay. But basically, uh, between now and then, if you just want to run through, uh, how your life has transpired, so. They took me out of the primary school that I was at at the right. time because they didn't think it was good enough. So then I went to a private school. Then I went to the private school for two years and it was very expensive. And they moved properties that I went to a different high school, which okay, so was basically lovely, which what, I, what I'm you. getting to is your, your life completely changed overnight. Completely. Two different, completely. Rea- two different realities. Yeah. From that day. Yeah. Okay. Did, did you expect that or did you expect to live with one of your aunts or uncles or family members? Did you see it coming? Uh, oh, no, I definitely didn't see it coming. A couple of days before it happened, my mom was really well. I don't know, this weird medical phenomenon that no one can explain. It's just, just before people die, like sometimes they get like much better. Oh, wow. And they're actually like able to say goodbye and everything. Mm. And then a couple of days later, they pass on. Mm. So my mom had I been saw doing, my mom had been doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> my mom had been doing really well, actually. So I was like super like mm. hopeful and super excited. So when yeah. it, when I was told, I was in complete like denial and complete, complete like shock. Like, you know, it's, I, I just didn't see it coming. So with the, the, I mean, you say there were drastic changes. You were living one life the day before. The next day, all of a sudden, everything was different. Yes. Is there anything that they did really 
badly that they could have maybe done better. So first of all, I want to tell. Okay, so this is an identity crisis, to me. It's an identity crisis to every black child who was raised by white people. <laughs> if if your life changes like that overnight, mm. you can't not get confused as a person. Mm. You know, absolutely. I, who are you? What do you stand for? What are your family values? Who's your family? I was still very much exposed to my biological family as well as my white family. Mm. So it did feel like completely two different others. Yeah, completely two different. I mean, the one had to go to Limpopo and serve the men and cook and clean. And the other had the helper that she would chat to while she went to her private school and came home to her beautiful pre-cooked meals, you know. Did you have a preference? Did I have a preference? Mm. Um, my preference was parents who were alive, yes. <laughs> oh, fair enough, straight wow. up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but uh, then... Yeah, point. so so, what what could they have done better, and, and in particular with the identity crisis being some something so different to them, and in two completely different worlds at at the same time, what could they have done better to just help you integrate into both conditions? Um, I think it, it, I went to a lot of psychologists to help me deal with the loss, but it was very distant from them actually dealing with it. So I think had they been more involved in actually processing the loss and trying to understand the life I lived before and my so biological that's, family, that's that would have been a really, really important helpful. point, I think. Okay, because they would allow you, you know, you have two brothers. Mm. So you would see your brothers often mm. because they mm. live in Johannesburg. Mm. And uh, you'd go and visit your, your family in Limpopo, your grandmother. Mm. Um, occasionally mm. And that was something They were totally fine with And they absolutely supported it Absolutely right? But they never went with you Yeah So they were always It always remained My blackness was always Almost at a distance You know Like they knew That I had my gran And my gran had her theories And I had my family And Alex But my blackness was always At a distance It was out of their home You know You see I would surmise That that is a big part of of mm. the identity crisis Absolutely. but but did they owe anything to your blackness in a way well you i know? think it was important to acknowledge especially in the context of this country that blackness is way more about the color of your skin it's about your identity it's about your culture it's about your history it's, also, it's about your beliefs it's about everything you've known for 10 years of my life I knew blackness mm. and all of a sudden blackness was an occasional treat. And it's a mm. two way street when you have a child and parents always think about it as somehow a unilateral relationship, but it's not right. As much as you're joining their family and you have to integrate with their life, they also have to, particularly if you had a life before them, they've got a bond with who that was yeah you know yeah for the union to be consummate yeah it's like like any relationship it's a, and it's also two, just two streets yeah just so things can happen swiftly you know it's not like a major jump from one life to another life but like a really smooth transition into a new life yeah and i think that's i think that's a really helpful point for a lot of parents who adopt but how how would you guide as a young child how would you guide your parents into understanding that 
I don't think that you needed that. I don't think as a young child it was my responsibility to guide them into knowing that. However, now mm. as an adult, I can guide the other white parents who are about to adopt black children mm. because I don't think any child can realize that that's actually what they need. It's all fun and games to speak retrospectively, but at the time it's obviously very different. Because I think what creates so, an identity crisis is a separation of worlds. Right, feeling like you have to be two people. But if they if they bother to get acclimated and to join with the the other person that you are and the other life that you have, mm. then there wouldn't be that crisis, you know. They would uh, the two would. You know, they actually thought they were doing something really good by sending me home and making sure that I don't forget that part of my identity. But I don't think they realized that them joining me mm. in that part of my identity would have made me feel a lot more whole than separated because I literally felt separated my whole life until honestly about six, six, 12 months ago. Okay. And on that separated point, mm. I'm curious about what some of your, you know, I want to give, I want to give people an idea of the life mm. on a day to day basis. Mm. What are some of the most awkward moments you remember growing up? So there was one where I was about 18, mm-hmm. 19, where my dad, who was white, dropped me off at work in his Mercedes and I was wearing this little dress because I was doing promotions and everyone, you could just see that everyone thought that I was like this prostitute or <laughs> whatever, or probably he was your European man, That's that he was my blesser, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> That's definitely the looks that we got. No, um, and then there was another time where I went to... That really perverts the, the child-parent relationship, eh? Mm. If people look I at mean, it like that, sure. Both yeah. of us kind of laughed it off because we actually got very used to it. Because when we used to go shopping and he would pay for Dude, stuff but what, for me... How awkward is that moment with your dad when you both have to acknowledge that that is what is occurring? <laughs> no, but we did it so early on because like you'd have to... We'd dine together or we'd go shopping and he'd buy me a whole lot of stuff or whatever. So we got very used to it very quickly. Like So we just kind of giggle about it. We're just like... Mm. Just another one of those because it happened so frequently. Wow. And then there was also another time where I went to school and the headmistress told me that my hair was just disheveled and I was a mess and I needed to sort it out without even asking me why. Okay. And the why is that black hair is different to white hair and my mom didn't know what to do with my hair and would wow. have to send me to a hairdresser, but I hadn't been. And so, so that was my situation. principal took the situation at, at face value. Did she? Yeah. Do you, do you, was she aware that you adopted? Oh, yeah. You see, I don't know why people can't put these things together. I, I don't know if it's just me uh, who no, but, thinks but at about the same, that at the same kind time, of thing. What is, what is the headmaster supposed to do? Supposed to no, she's supposed to call my mom and be like, please take this child to a black hairdresser if you can't take care of her hair yourself. Yeah. As opposed to getting punished, right? Because she was punished for that. Oh, wow. And that's oh, essentially being punished hmm. for not knowing who you are or, or not knowing how to, to navigate your, your identity. And also because previously when my when my biological mother was alive, we'd spend like every Sunday evening, afternoon sitting on the grass and she'd be plaiting my hair or relaxing my hair or tying it up or whatever. So I'd never really had to take charge of my own hair Ish. situation. No, dude, you're not the only one. I think <laughs> black women and hair is, a, you know, another conversation but i you know i still don't know how to deal with my hair you know i've been i've I've had black parents my whole life 
and <laughs> and <laughs> the struggle is real. The yeah. struggle is real. Because, uh, honey, I've and got so my hair got, under complete control. But you had the double. Was you, very had, real. you had the double whammy there because there was the fact that your mother was white and had different hair, and so you didn't. She didn't have the technique to pass on to you. And then there's just the fact that as black women, we've never learned how to manage our hair without trying to change it. Well, that's the thing. I think it's important because we, we don't know how to manage it in its natural form. Yeah. No, and the so real. we do easier things like braids and no, weaves. And I'm about that. I'm about that duck life. You see how, you know, I've had a bad hair day is if I'm wearing a duck and you know, I can do it in a, a sensible way. Where it kind of makes sense, but yeah. you know, I when you see me in a duck, you must know. Yeah, no, I had to put chemicals in my hair because I just, it's, it's hard work, eh? Fair, and it's painful. Fair enough. And the memories of that Afro comb going <laughs> through your hair and that's at a young age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes it breaks, girl. Exactly. What must happen? <laughs> exactly. And then there's that plastic one, and then there's that metal one with the hand, and you're not really sure. Which one is Yo, actually going to be kind of fierce though? It looks like some kind of like fierce torture tool with the <laughs> hand. Why must you have a hand there? Yeah, it's a weapon. <laughs> it's a weapon of destruction. Nothing oh. tormented me like that no, hand no, that, that, and that, those metal spikes. Yeah, I'm no, like, what absolutely. is happening here? Um, okay, it's it's so interesting because I mean, my mother made sure that every opportunity she had she would relax my hair because she did not have time for my natural hair so i can only imagine the relationship that your white mother had with your black hair she probably just avoided it she, did, she, <laughs> didn't, she didn't have a relationship that's why it was she had no relationship with your hair to, whatsoever until she dropped me off at the hairdresser otherwise it was up to me that's why i would okay. go to school I just wanna, so disheveled i just want to wow. i just want to make this point do. quickly note to white mothers with black kids have a relationship not just with a child but with the child hair please, please. uh-huh please just find a friend, a black friend who understands. Find a lovely black hairdresser where you can just get their hair plaited because that's also nice and easy. And I've seen these but private school girls. I've seen these <coughs> private school girls with, you know, the outfits is, is, is on point. These private school black girls and a lot of them, particularly ones adopted who, who are in white families, mm. the outfit is perfect. The hair. Mm. Yeah, so whenever I meet white mothers that have adopted Has black children, honestly, the very first thing I talk about before I even get to identity crisis is please take care of that child's hair. Like, it's horrible but, but in hair terms is of power, trying to maintain though. it. it and also it has so much meaning. The fact that you respect the way the child's hair is and you respect that mm, it needs to be a, treated differently yeah, also is an acknowledgement of the fact that you respect their culture, where they come from. So it's actually a me. note. It's, I think it's also a note to black mothers mm. to have a relationship with their daughter's hair yeah, as well. True. Um, and so how, how's your relationship with individual um, family members been? Like how has... Which family members? So... So your father, for instance, how's your relationship been with your father, especially since you've had so many awkward moments? And <laughs> uh, We've got to be specific when you say father, hey, biological or adopted? Yeah, because, <laughs> okay, so Lerato does this thing, which uh, she always has. So she always called her parents by their first names, and then on special occasions, if they were particularly nice, i.e. <laughs> when they got her the first iPod pretty much in our school. <laughs> oh, you were that girl. That day, that that day, he 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 was dad, uh, and she was mom. But 
On other days, it was it was always their first names. Uh, she's also always she's also always made the differentiation between um, mother and mom. Oh. Mother being something deeper, something biological. Oh, and okay. Actually, I think quite spiritual for her. And then mom being a role. Hmm. Did you did you ever feel like your adopted parents filled the role well enough to be called? Mother, mother, or father, and father. No, they never no, got there not once. That's completely why they didn't even get called mom or dad. <laughs> they got called by their names mm. because they provided me with things. I was handed many things. I wore them beautiful Akajo jerseys. I went to the right schools. I had my iPod, but I, that feeling of being parented was never there. And that's really the difference, I think, between sending your child to Limpopo to visit their grand. And growing with them. It's that spiritual difference. Yes. You know? Mm. Um, and I think... And I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned it because I think... I don't think they're unworthy of that title at all. Simply by virtue of the fact that they didn't give birth to her. Uh, but I think that title is is earnable and it's earned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's also... the. Very tricky thing with my adoptive situation is the fact that they didn't necessarily want children. The thing is, with a lot of white families who adopt black children, really, really want children yeah, of their they own ready for and can't have children of their own. Mm. Whereas with my adoptive parents, they had no desire to Although, have any children at all. And, and then I was kind of thrust on them. An interesting this, turn like, messed up morning black kid you know and an interesting turn of events after they decided that they couldn't handle you and we'll talk a lot more about your your space your headspace um an interesting turn of events is they both ended up with families with kids they divorced by the way they're divorced they got divorced they each ended up with their own families with kids younger than lorato who they're actively Raising actively, on a actively, actively parenting. Day. So it's almost like I was the what the, you crash it? the crash test. She was the dummy. crash test dummy. How does that make you feel, though, to see that, to How see what that? those children have that you didn't have? Uh, yeah, so let's talk about what do a, those children have that you didn't have? Yeah, that's a very different conversation. Okay, <laughs> um, it's not even identity crisis. Okay. I'm, I've honestly, I've been in therapy about that for about four or five years. It's literally the most heartbreaking thing to feel like you didn't deserve your parents' love and you had to earn it. It is literally the most heartbreaking thing to feel like, why didn't I do enough for them to love me enough like they love their current kids? So you actually felt like you had to put in the work to get oh, their love. Oh, my entire life I've I've worked towards getting their love. Like all I've done is work to Here earn go. their love. I've been to psychologists trying to figure out why my self-esteem is the way it is and, you know, why I'm, I feel the kind of self Lack of self Okay, but anyway, uh, she uh, wow. she asked you earlier about your relationship with your father. I want to know in general with, or, or your dad rather, mm. uh, your adopted dad. Mm. I want to know in general uh, your relationship with, how has that relationship been with, how were you received by by both them and by the extended family, obviously? So I've known them my whole life, mm. since I, literally since I was born. Like, I had a relationship with all of them my entire life. I was a flower girl at each one of their weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd known them my whole life. So they were all very welcoming, very kind, 
very decent. But also, I think it's important to remember that this was 17 years ago. This was very, new. very, very new and very, very, very rare. So everyone kind of thought they were doing the best they can okay. until they learned that they were not doing the best that they could. Right. And now they're applying what they couldn't apply so, then. But even with all of this effort, you always felt out. Even even oh, with your your extended family, yeah, yeah, you know, your adopted cousins. Completely out of place. I craved Your what peers, my essentially. Adopted, I craved, craved what my adoptive cousins had. I also craved what my biological family had. Like I was in limbo. I wasn't necessarily a part of either um, and fully accepted by either. So just being in limbo was just... Talk to your relationship with your, your biological family. So I... Like you said, was the first kid that got an iPod. Like, mm. so I was surrounded by so many Did you opportunities. Take it to to Limpopo, girl. That iPod. I never asked you this question. Did you take that thing to? <laughs> the homeland. <laughs> I think I think I did, but it was also new. MP3 players were also new at that stage. Mm. They literally would just come out of the air of CD Walkmans. Mm. So, so how would they receive you anomaly. after after you have this makeover? And I want to call it a makeover because I feel like that's what happened. You got adopted, you got made over, and then you were sent back. It wasn't actually a makeover because the person that I am has actually been pretty consistent, but it's the things that I had that mm-hmm. were different, right? And so I would go there, let's say, for example, with like. My MacBook Air because I knew I'd want to watch series at some point, Girl. and it would be like, "What?" In the homelands, you would take your MacBook. To no, them. but anybody got time for though, that? Yes, yes, oh, I wow. do the same thing. The thing is, though, I don't want them to feel like I'm keeping a part of me no, exactly. a secret. Exactly. It is what it is. It is how it is, and I will do everything that I can potentially do for you from a financial and a monetary point of view. But I'm not going to hide what I have. But did they treat you differently because of those things yeah. that you were bringing? Yeah. They, not not just that 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 and the fact that I'd like bring my own groceries. I mean, I can only imagine oh, how bad it was for her because for me, um, uh, visiting Kunu pretty much twice a year, um, at least twice a year when I was younger, to see my grandmother and a lot of my cousins that she was raising. I, by virtue of being from Joburg and speaking the way I do was actually called Mlungu. Oh. You know? Wow. A white person. And I, I mean, I came with a black mom and a black dad who was actually from there. Mm. But still, just because of what we had and also, I mean, the way that I spoke, you know? And you can't... I, I hate when people say you speak well because I appreciate it to some extent. I mean, depending on where it's coming from, look, the sentiment of you speak a language well can be a nice sentiment. It's just not always coming from the right place, right? But the other thing that people don't think about is, like, the opportunity cost for me of speaking English so well is that I, I'm not speaking Kosa the way that I used to when I was much younger. Mm. And that's a fact. And when you are insecure to open your mouth um, mm. because you feel like your, your English mm. accent might come through your Kosa accent. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Right? When you speak to your grandmother. Yeah. I mean... I am a very quiet version of myself when I'm there. 
Yeah, and the the way it separates you actually from your family because you're timid about the conversation. Yeah. And so you don't have as genuine a conversation yeah, as you otherwise would. Not with me. I've there's nothing <laughs> no, remotely you. timid about me. <laughs> so <laughs> I just go like head on. I will speak about like my Asian boyfriend. I will speak about how I want to adopt a kid. I will speak about all of the things she that I want to do. And my grandmother still loves me. You know, and she allows me to sleep in instead of waking up at like six o'clock in the morning to sweep. Like I'm treated very, very, I'm treated particularly well when I go there. I'm actually treated like a guest rather than part of the family because they will let me get away with things like not cooking. That's the other thing. Okay. So it does have its advantages. And Shaks, I keep calling her Tandy because that's just my kind of pet name for her because Lorato means love and Tandy's the other one. So I've always just been the one to call her that. Um, so forgive me if you you get confused, uh, but yes, you do. You do. You get there is special treatment. Oh, you know? the most special treatment. You write people, it. I feel bad about people it. People come to <laughs> visit from so far away to see me. There's like such happy, happy glory when I'm there. More so than my brothers. Mm. Like my grand's like, when's Tandy coming? Like my brother, she's like, shit, fine, whatever. But does it but make you feel welcome or does it still make you feel separate from them if they're giving you special no, treatment? it makes me feel welcome because okay. I know that um, the reason she's giving me special treatment is Come because she's not 100%. Yeah, from love and like trying to accommodate me and the way that I've been. I mean, the mere fact that she accepted my Asian boyfriend <laughs> and was like, that that's okay. Oh, and we'll get there. We'll get to that Asian guy. We'll get there. Uh, but just, yeah. No, and also, the thing that I appreciate about those people and their way of life is that nothing is that deep, you know? So, like, they'll see you. Yeah. They'll diss you. Uh, look at you. You're fat. <laughs> uh, look at you. You're... Complexion has changed. You're so much darker. Ha, and then ha, that's ha. it. And then that's, that's it. You know, what I mean? the rest ah, of the holidays, everything is ha, fine. Ha. It's not deep. Everyone, it's not you know? deep. And which makes the love real because all of the disses are temporary and they're not com- they're not contemplated. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, yeah, you can just feel the love and you can feel that they're very much accommodating once they've made like their first point that you're very white or whatever. But okay. it also comes from such a good place. So let's like, run through this quickly, actually. Yeah. Um, what I want to know from you mm-hmm. in your unique position. Yes. Is your interactions and your, your relationships with, uh, four different groups. Okay. Okay. I want to know what have been your, in your unique position. Mm. What have been your your interactions and your your relationships with with black women? How do you feel around black women? Rather, is what I I should be asking. So I think there's there's two things there. The way that I feel as a with um, black women who are older and are mothers is almost like a feeling of nostalgia and so much respect. Like I would never smoke in front of my friend's black mother, but in front of my friend's white mother, maybe, you know, like there's this utmost respect and this nostalgia and almost this desire to Mm. be held by them. Oh, wow. Yeah, very much so. Just this desire to just be held by them. I mean, my mom's available. (laughs) And your mom does that with me (laughs) relatively often. And it's, it's uncomfortable at first because I'm not used to it, but then I just get so into it and I love it so much that feeling and it just feels so genuine, you know? Okay. And um with younger black black women like around my age, 
Um, <clears throat> it's very difficult to be accepted because obviously this word coconut, everyone loves it. And, you know, everyone just assumes that that's what you are. But people are really starting to open their minds to people who have had different experiences. And because so many black women have been to private school, um, I'm not an anomaly with my accent. I mean, all three of us here mm. are, have the same accent. I mm. mean, I did, when I was younger, I did try to like, you know, be more black and I'd go visit my friend in Snawane and we'd play skipping. And there's this one skipping game where you have to name the months of the year. Oh, girl, the, the month of the year. Exactly. Calendar 2000s. Exactly. And you, you, you cannot February. say, you cannot March. say it like, the months of the year, calendar <laughs> 2000, January, February. You cannot, Absolutely you cannot say it like no. that. Absolutely. You so are you throw yourself right in there and you say their months of the year, mm. no matter where you come preach. from. <laughs> preach, girl, preach. So there were certain things like that where you just like immerse yourself in the culture as it is. And, you know, people would be surprisingly quite accepting. Like those girls in Snow and that I played with on the streets, like would be you know, quite accepting and try to be quite understanding. Oh. So there's there's actually quite a big disjuncture there. Okay. Mm. And black let's men. talk about black men. Black men, I am terrified of. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm wow. terrified because they are the most... Men and boys. Okay. Men. Men, okay. Older, um, men. Right. older men. Because they are the most blatantly racist... And blatantly, um, not understanding or not yes, forgiving. Yes, people, of black your, men can be racist mm-hmm. because they're not understanding your choices. So when I was with this Asian guy that I keep mentioning, we get like really horrible looks, and black men would say like really horrible stuff to us, and I'd get stopped by the police, and I would tell my boyfriend not to hold my hand because. You know, I'm really scared see, of having this interracial relationship. That's hatred. Yeah. And it was a lot of that. Like, you're taking our men and they'd walk past and be like, Sisu Enzani with this guy. Yeah. They'd be like, Sisu Enzani, um, Nalom China, Enzani. Enzani, Nalom China. Like, there'd be so many questions. They'd be like, how is Sisu Enzani? Like, all the time. Like, in an angry way. Not like a confused, I'm intrigued to find out how this is happening way. A legitimately angry way, so but black I'm, men scare me. I'm just, I'm just not convinced if it's hatred. That's my own <laughs> opinion. It's jealousy. I mean, it's essentially. But I mean, it's but founded that on comes quite from, an yeah. No, I agree. That's what I'm saying. But hatred can be reactive. You know, yeah, what? absolutely. But I don't think it's hatred. I think, you know, like when you're so used to as a black man just being made to feel like you are the least desirable thing. You are the most dangerous idea of anything in society. It's very difficult to see a black woman going for something else because in a way it reinforces those narratives. I so it's not necessarily you can, hatred. It's not necessarily hatred, but it can be uh-huh. just frustration with a perpetuation of lies. I don't I agree think with that you can, because I, of the access that black men have to black women to white women who actually are more open-minded than white men. They have access to women. They just have a sense, I believe, of entitlement where you belong to us. Also, oh, hatred, interesting. hatred, it is territorial and we can't take the misogyny out of it. You know what I mean? We, mm. I, I, we've got to, we've got to accommodate and understand, but we've also got to be fair. 
Mm. Right? So we but can't that, say, But that's why I think it's important to not just call it hatred. No, let's not just call it hatred. Yeah. But also, hatred can come out of... If somebody... If somebody kills your cat... Because I don't want to get too heavy with it. But actually, that is, that is heavy for a lot of people. If somebody kills your cat, you can, you can hate them. It's a hatred... It's a reactive hatred, mm-hmm. but it's still it's still a hatred. I believe in reactive hatred. I just don't think that that is hatred. Okay. I think with black men, considering the history of this country, there is so much innate anger in them. Even if you're born as the most gentle, loving soul as a black man, anger develops. But you become anger, angry because you don't have access to certain things. No, that's You've been fine. Deprived but anger certain is things. not hatred. No, but anger can become hatred when you start to make threats. Mm. And you know, when you you can sense it though. Like I'm not a not observant person. Like I'm very aware of what is going on. Mm. And I am aware of the look that you've just given me that says to me, I'm gonna fuck up your boyfriend if I catch him alone. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and the policemen that are like, what on earth is this this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I have to be like, no, no, he's just he's just taking me home. Literally, there is fear in me as yes. a black woman who's lived in this country my whole life. That is hatred. That kind of fear can only come from hatred I, or I, jealousy. I, I would tend to agree. And on that note, uh, let's end part one of this conversation mm-hmm. and resume shortly. Hi there, and welcome back to part two. Of our conversation with Lorato on raising South Africans. Um, so we ended there on, on quite a heated note. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> with the hatred question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was a black man question that turned into hatred. <laughs> hey, it's that so black man question at your... It kind of escalated. Yo, 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 yo. It gets deep. But you know what? The black younger men are so accepting and so decent about it. They have so much so more black, understanding. Younger men, okay, we need a category. So now I'm talking my peers, Your right? Peers. So I'm differentiating okay. between older people and my peers okay. and the feelings that they generate. Your peers. In so me. are we talking now like middle class? No, actually, we're talking quite a few classes. Like okay. people are a lot more understanding mm. uh, of, you know, seeing a black girl with an guy of a different race or themselves going for a girl of a different race. Like I found that people have been a lot more understanding and a lot less hateful. Mm-hmm. Um, to some extent, in the slightly lower LSMs, there's still a bit of anger. And I think that stems from a history of violence and anger within this country. So, um, yeah, but with, I mean, yeah, my peers are very much accepting. Okay. And so give us an example. I mean, by accepting, you mean... They don't. It doesn't bother them. Uh, no, they don't think about it. I know. Of course, they think about it. Everybody thinks about it, no matter how. Okay. Or, or is it that they might think about it, but they just don't say it, or they don't express it in violence and anger? I think they definitely think about it, but I don't think it bothers them the way it bothers older black males. Like I don't think they're as but perturbed. You always talk about mm. this fascination that men have mm. with. This condition Yes Do you want to talk more to that? So I feel like the black men Are fascinated by This black woman Who kind of seems white But isn't actually white But kind of <laughs> knows all of these things 
but they will never want to take me home because uh-huh. of my whiteness. Oh, wow. okay. So um, there, you see, wait, I, I, take I, I was home, struggling with this acceptance thing. But take you home as in taking you to the family. Taking you to their family. You've nailed it on the head. So, mm-hmm. how, I mean, what kind of acceptance is that? Yeah, no, it's true. Um, it's, it's acceptance at face value. Mm. Is it? Is it in a way um, an exoticizing of yeah, your condition? Yeah, it's like that nice thing that... I find fascinating. I'm going to try it. It's like, I don't know. It's like pina colada. You're not going to drink pina coladas <laughs> all night. Like you're not going to commit to pina coladas, but you really I mean, do I enjoy the I taste. I don't feel that you're a pina colada, so we're, we might have to find a, a different example. Pina coladas are so delicious though. They are though, aren't they? <laughs> it could be a pina colada. Thank you. At least you're not a cosmopolitan. Oh, no. <laughs> um... Okay, so let's move on white, from white women. Mm-hmm. White women, yes. Yeah. So, um, with white women, I have a bit of a a bit of a strange relationship. Obviously, because I was raised by a white woman, but she was never particularly maternal. Okay, so are we talking white older women? Now? Older woman. Yeah. So she wasn't particularly maternal. So I don't get a very maternal sense from older white women at all. Okay. Um, so that that relationship's a bit estranged, completely. Okay, with most white women, and then um, but with my white peers, I feel so strangely accepted, but accepted in that I'm almost like the jester, like oh, we don't know anyone who's black who's like you, so we really want you in our group. It's, it's but, like and when a it Barbie comes, doll. Like, exactly, like a toy. For, oh my goodness, you're a Barbie doll for... Like, for, you're not for, like any other black person. White girls. Look at you, you're not like any other black person. And they, we all feel like we're the same, and they accept me until it's time to t- suntan, until it's time to blow dry your hair. You know what <laughs> it is? Like, no, but I'm serious. It's like black put Barbie. On lotion. It's, it, it's what I imagine black Barbie would be, right? When she joins the gang. Yeah. yeah, of of white bobbies. Do do you do you know how to act white or act black? So do you? I know I I know what I need to do in certain situations to come across as a certain way. Unfortunately, that's something learned. I know what I got to do. Wow. Okay. Do so, you, how how do you feel? Wait. Having said that, the blackness that comes from me is very much authentic. When I hear. Big Nas, I want to dance. When I hear Kings of the Weekend, I am on that dance floor, tongue out, everything. But, but do, you, so, do you do it in front of the white girls? It is what it is. <laughs> I've like become recently, very recently, I wouldn't have been able to do it before. I mean, before it would have been like, Stacey's mom, it's got it going on. <laughs> You're, you know those deep ones, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't even know those ones. Yeah, no, I know teenage dirtbag baby. Stacy's mom. You know Stacey's about Stacy's mom? mom? Has got it going on. <laughs> oh, wow, it's all I want, and I've waited <laughs> for so long. Stacy's mom. <laughs> oh, you never cease to surprise me. Okay. Um, so before it was that, but now that I've I've come into my own so much more, hmm. um, I've very much. Not just accepted my blackness, but I've, I've, I've like really enjoyed it, and I've like kind of cocooned myself in it. It feels so nice and warm and <laughs> natural. Mm. And so when I hear BBM Wajelwa, what's up Wajelwa? You oh, see yeah. me 
you know the deep ones <laughs> i'm clearly like a you really you really commit if you're white you are white if you're black you are black that's that wonderful deeper. Hey. do that thing again what thing? sing that song bbm what's up facebook goodness Twitter, watch your face. Yeah, there's, there's got to be a face. And there's got to be some movement, guys. Like, <laughs> the aim is to sweat when it comes to that, black dancing. <laughs> I, I will say that your, your flexibility, your adaptability has always been something I've envied. It, it, it's remarkable to be able to go from one extreme to another. I do it because I kind of sit on the fence in the middle, you know? So I can kind of swing both ways. I'm that guy. Mm. But you can literally run from one end to the other and I think that's a remarkable yeah. quality that's come out of your situation um, that really works for you man it really 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 works for you because sometimes you make me feel really black because <laughs> you're acting that white and then sometimes you make me feel really white <laughs> because you're acting, acting that black, black. <laughs> so that's absolutely I mean shucks that's absolutely phenomenal okay um, and last yeah but not least White men. So, white men, I'm going to categorize into one because, to be honest with you, there hasn't been sufficient evolution from the older white man to the younger white man. So, white men, I'm just going to categorize. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so initially, even I wasn't categorizing, I was just doing a blanket black woman. Yeah. And you differentiated between an older black woman and a young black woman because it's a different relationship. Are you saying now? That this is not category does not warrant a separation yes. because it is the same. And they're not please sufficiently ex- different. Please expand on that. White, older white men, whether they've passed it down to their sons, whether their sons have learned it from, I don't know where, but they're the same. Hmm. I feel like my peers who are white men are very similar to their fathers. Oh, I wow. feel like there isn't that much you of a gap, it's that true. much of a, that much growth or that much, um, Evolution from generation oh to generation. Goodness, that is I such feel an like they're almost the same. The same. What do you, so, why do you think that is? I think it's. I think it comes from the same place, kind of that the black violence comes from. Mm. I think it comes from hanging on to something yes, and not wanting to let it go. That's that's exactly. Whereas the difference between black men and older black men and younger black men is that the level of education and the number of opportunities has changed much more so they've been able to open their minds a lot more but with white men it's been consistently available so you think there's just an entitlement like I want to hold on to my culture I want to like hold on to you know this whiteness that I have as a family and I'm going to emphasize this whiteness you know to my white son like there's just like holding on to so, so do you find white men very self-preserving the white white man culture is very self-preserving so that's what yeah that's kind of what I wanted to say was I think white men haven't changed because they have the most to lose from big changes mm. in the system mm. and the most to gain from the Same. status quo. Yeah. Right? Mm, absolutely. And in my opinion, if ever there was an Illuminati, it's just, it, it's white male privilege. And the crazy thing is you don't have to join it to be a part of it. You just are by, by, by virtue 
of your race yeah, yeah. and your gender. No, mm. no, you're just accepted. I read this insane article about this place called Oranyaville. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Isn't it just Orania? I thought it was Oranyaville. It might be just Orania. I don't know. Yeah. But it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually insane. It's like... Danefern on steroids for like very Afrikaans people. Like you've got to be interviewed. Like how much of your heritage do you carry with you on a daily basis to become a part of it? Like they've got their post office. Oh wow. They've, they've got, got their, their own, everything. They've got their own, they've got their own currency. Illuminati. They've Illuminati. got their own currency. They've yeah. got their let's own stop everything. Taking it. You, you, let's, uh, let's keep it here with the Illuminati. Eh? It's closer to home than we think. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's white male privilege for real. Oh, and oh. no, but on, on the other hand, like I, I'm empathic because, <laughs> and bear with me. Ooh, I'm empathic. You're gonna say something controversial. I'm, empa- I'm not gonna say uh. something. Yeah, I, I don't think it's controversial. <laughs> you might, because I've met white men who genuinely stand for social justice mm. and who don't want a dividend of white privilege, but simply don't have a choice. And like I said, bear with me, right? Because I feel like I. I can relate as a young black woman in South Africa if we talk about the BE framework. Okay. Often I've wondered if I am afforded an opportunity because I'm a young black female because of yes. my demographic. Yeah. Or if I'm, I'm genuinely deserving. Right. And. Look, maybe it's early for the statement because I think black women have the most catching up to do. I mean, considering where this show, what this show is based on, they absolutely do. And we genuinely deserve, we deserve a leg up, right? Yes. But I, I'm just saying from a personal point of view, I'm not mm-hmm. speaking by any means for all black women, mm-hmm. but I'm saying from a personal point of view, that's something that I've always wondered. That's always haunted me um, when I, I get any job. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm meeting, if I'm meeting yeah. a quota... Um, I know quite a few people who feel like this, and I just have a quick question: Why do you care? Because I want to know that I'm good. You need to know that within yourself. It's not for the employer to tell you that, though. You need to know that for yourself, and if you know that for yourself, you won't question it from the employer's point of view. I so agree. It doesn't I matter. agree. From the, I agree. I agree with what you're saying half, but I think when you 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 create and you're a writer and you write for an audience, and it's very much about a reach, right? What I do is very much about. A response because I, I'm trying to communicate. Okay. Then I do need to know that the response that I'm getting is for a, a legitimate reason. So I suppose different fields. It, um, it, it really, it, it's different for di- different fields. But yeah. anyway, the, the point that I'm making is I feel like for, for, for white men, this has essentially been, been forever. And I'm sure it doesn't bother most of them, right? Because they own the world. And when you own the world, that's a hell of a soft landing. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like a cushion and a half, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like mm. not so bad. A trade-off mm. flip, like knowing you're good versus owning owning the world. Mm. You know, it's it's like I don't know. I think for most people it's thoughtless. For me it isn't, but I think for most people it's it's thoughtless. Um, but yeah, I just wanted I wanted to to put that out there. You know, actually, that statement makes me think that that might be what why a lot of white men are tormented because the idea that everything that they have in a way earned in inverted commas is founded on a huge leg up. It was written in stone. And so 
how can they really understand how can they really understand their own value by virtue of their actual hard work i absolutely absolutely agree and you meet a lot of people um i mean white guys in particular i think get a lot of slack for not wanting to change the world, not being that aspirational, just, you know, living on their trust funds, living on, on, on the privilege that they have, you know, not being that open-minded, not not reaching, right? Also, I don't think they give a shit. No, I don't think they give a shit. Because they've got their trust funds. No, but I, I think, I think the one, for the ones who do give a shit, I'm talking about the ones who do give a shit. I'm, okay, I'm saying okay. for the ones who do okay. give a shit, that must, really, that, that must be a, a really whack. Yes, it is a genuine I, shit. I feel like everyone gives a shit, actually. It is a genuine shit. It's just, look, it's been normalized, right? So you grow numb to it, you know? But I think, I, I think if you actually think about human, hum, the human condition, and you think about Maslow's hierarchy, and you think at the top of that thing is self-actualization, mm. it's not just about things. Yes, exactly. It's about it's about esteem, and I think their their pre-earned or, or uh, predetermined rather esteem robs them of a lot of growth. Yeah, uh, I know you're very close to your former domestic worker, mm. and similarly, her her mom died when she was young. Mm. But on the other hand, she became a domestic worker herself. Mm, mm. Do you ever think about having ended up in her situation? I don't because my mom knew that I was never going to be a domestic worker. My mom had really grand plans for me, even if grand means finishing your matric and, you know, getting a decent job. I knew for a fact that my mom would never, ever have let me be a domestic worker. So whether she passed away, whether she was still alive, I would have never had to fill the role that she had filled as a domestic worker. You see, that's interesting because that speaks, that speaks to, uh, that speaks to, to character, right? Because I, I think a lot of people blanket domestic workers into these people who are stuck where they are. You know, mm. and for a lot of people, I think if you're born to a domestic worker, it is assumed mm-hmm. that you, you won't, won't have that much social mobility. Yeah. You know, you won't, you, you're, you're likely not to make that much of, uh, of yourself. That's so strange because I know so many people born to domestic workers who are doing the most impressive and profound And that's things, something we need to cover. But do the they, most amazing things. But like do they, phenomenal. Do they also feel like they they started out behind, you know, and have had to do some catching up because I mean, of there, there has to be catching up that needs to be done. Yeah. You know, um and I don't think that catching up is necessarily a monetary thing or anything. Yeah. It's a literally it's a mind thing. Yes. It's a open my mind to the new possibilities that I could possibly have. And I think a lot of people have had to do that kind of catching up where like, actually my mom was a domestic worker, but I can be a CA and I can support her at some stage. Mm. You know, I think for a lot of people, this is such a sad reality, but I think for a lot of people, Dreaming and hoping and having ambitions is a luxury because yeah. you've got to do what you've got to do at the time and make do with what you have. So interesting question um, is how must it feel? How do you think it feels for a mother essentially to 
not want her daughter to be what she is? Um, that must be. I think it's a very, you, you phrase it like it's negative, but I think it's a very positive feeling. I think a good mother wants more for their child, whether it's domestic work, no matter what it is, a good mother is mm. always going to want more for their child, mm. you know? So in this particular context, I think, I don't know, for me, I would imagine there's a sense of pride, mm. of pride that you know that your child can potentially be something, your child can potentially do something that you weren't able to do and that your child has more opportunities. You know, I would imagine that would fill the parent with pride rather than... And I suppose it is based, it's based more on opportunity than on, on character, right? So yeah. you're not, you're not wanting a different person for exactly. your child. You're exactly. wanting a different life. Exactly. And as long as the characteristics, I mean, stay the same, like with my mom, you know, she wanted me to be kind and compassionate and, you know, open-minded and all of these wonderful character traits. But she also wanted me not to ever be a domestic worker, you know. But the most fundamental things that she would have wanted are those character traits to stay the same. So the other thing, though, is um, although although the, the lady who was your d- domestic worker ended up taking over from her mom because mm. her mom passed away as well, mm. um, she wasn't ever estranged from her identity like you were. Um, and given the fact that she hasn't had nearly as much privilege and opportunity as you, do you still envy her possibly for retaining that sense of identity? Um, so essentially I'm asking what the trade-off is. What would you take this trade-off between identity and privilege? What would you choose? I mean, I think it's a very bleak world in which people would have to choose. Um, it was your world in a way. So le- let me say this. I think people expect you to be... I p- think people think it was an amazing stroke of luck. You're an exception yeah. to the rule. Yeah. Right? right. And so take what you got and be happy with it. And this actually now is a bit like what I was saying about white male privilege. Is yeah. that it doesn't come with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. From I an do. identity point of view, it doesn't do. come with everything. I do. I do. I so people ex- expect, if you are a white guy, <laughs> people expect that you know, you're fine. You're fine. Nothing's take wrong with you. what you have, exactly. what you got exactly. and be happy with it. That's true. It's actually right? true. But are you happy with it? Um, I don't know. Mm. I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, my parents would be alive and we'd be, you know, happy families, even if we're poor families, we're happy families. Um, I'd rather have A solid identity than privilege. I mean, having said that, having said that, a solid identity is not necessarily something I would have created for myself if I had stayed in my space. Mm. If I had been taken in by my gran, that identity would have been a manifestation of to stand life mm-hmm. and apartheid living okay, and so, all of that. So it, I think identity is something that you very much have to create, create for it. yourself. So, and I think the, the mixture of privilege and not privilege and fighting through this identity crisis has forced me to have a completely separate identity to anyone that I know. Thankfully, I've lived through it mm. there are many times where I could have <laughs> not. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know about the choosing. And in terms of envying her, um, I envy her ability to buck up. 
Like, <laughs> shit, my mom's passed away. Now I've got to be a mother. I've got to be a sister. I've got to be a caregiver. I've got to be a breadwinner. I've got to be everything. Like, that ability to just, bam, your life completely changes from you being a child to being a complete adult. It, to be able to adapt to that is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Having said that, I find it really sad that she did have to do that because she's young. She's little. She's younger than me. And I feel like I just wanted to have a life. You think this work, do you think domestic work takes away your youth? No, but I think having to be... No, you don't think so. Domestic work takes away your youth? Mm. No, but I think the responsibility that comes with taking care of people does. Okay. And so she was just a domestic worker because she can. She's saving up money, maybe to get a car, looking for, I don't know, whatever. And that's very different to the fact that you're in domestic work because you've got to feed your little sister and you've got to feed your family. I would, I would surmise that it ages you with time. Slowly. I think it's the responsibility. Excuse me. Mm. I don't think it's the, um, excuse me for who, for what? Did you burp? I burped. Yes. I wish you'd done it louder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm determined to, ma- to, to master the gap. <laughs> so next time, feel free. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't think it's the work so much as why you're doing the work okay. and the desperation no, required to be actually able to do the work. Did you think they felt guilty for not being able to relate to your black identity and in a way, help you build that identity? Was there guilt surrounding that? I definitely don't think there was guilt. I think they just thought that I I, I, I was sufficiently malleable that it didn't affect me. I mean, I was having a discussion with my mother and my psychologist the other day, and I was saying, you know, this identity crisis is so real. And she's like, wow, I didn't realize you were experiencing that because you fit in so well with all people. Like, I had no idea. Mm. With that accent, girl, you speak so well. <laughs> Oh, she went thank, you, thank you so much. So well. <laughs> Eight-year-old white lady. <laughs> You're so kind. Do you want to know what school I went to? <laughs> oh, older man. white woman with the you speak so well. One day I'm not even going to speak. I'm just going to punch it. What is, well, how? How do you explain that? I feel like that needs to be, no, the, the thing is, this is how it works. You need to make an example of someone. So you need to be in a very public space and you just lead with a punch. You don't even, oh. you don't, you don't answer, yeah. you just punch. Yeah. People know. We don't. We no. don't condone violence. We really don't condone. <laughs> we condone education. I can say all of this stuff. Like I have all of these many opinions about like white privilege and white guilt and white people and stuff. But come crunch time, I can't negate the fact that they're my family, yeah. and I cannot negate the fact that they stepped up and took very, very good care of me and that they provided me with everything that but I needed. How, how I honest, can't take I'm, away from the heroes, actually, that they were in that situation. Yeah. But Not just for me, but for my mother, who never wanted me to live a different life. Like, they did good but for as, her. But as honest as you are with us today, can you be this honest with them? No. Hmm. Also because I'd be outnumbered. Yeah. Oh yeah, that That's, makes sense. The, the, you know, the number of times, no, but the number of times you've had discussions, like, would you let your child date someone of a different race, or um, how do you feel about X, Y, Z? Like the number of times you've had discussions where I have been outnumbered because I'm so much more open-minded. Balance is incredibly important in a conversation. I, 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 honestly, I could have this discussion with my Footing. mother. My mother's very, very 
my mom is very smart and very open-minded and very real. So we'd be able to have a discussion like appreciate, this. I think she'd really appreciate this conversation. But because we've been so hard on white people, I really want to flip the script. Please. Mm. Um, we have been. Yeah. Let's... No. It's true. But let's talk about black guilt. Because it seems to me um, that think, could be a manifestation of your of your situation, especially think, when it comes to your biological family. I think black guilt, honestly, is more dangerous than white guilt. What is black guilt? Black guilt is when I don't know if you've seen this meme I on social media with this little boy <laughs> who's sitting down on the sand and he's wearing Timberlands, and he's wearing cute top, and he's wearing cute shorts, and then his like little cousins who are not wearing very much and it's very rural are surrounding him and it's like when you're the cousin that goes home when you're the cousin with money that goes home like it's a very real thing that many people experience many many people experience it like it's not just and it must be worse when you're actually from a white family that's the thing right so it was very difficult for me to do things like go home with my macbook air it wasn't just like okay chilled um it was really difficult for me to do that kind of stuff and it was really difficult for me to know what i have that my family didn't have like for a long time, I just kind of didn't engage with them because I felt so guilty. So I wouldn't let them into my life. And I kind of felt judged by them. But I realize now that I'm the one that put a strain on the relationship because I'm the one that felt really bad. You know, for example, when I went on holiday to France, I didn't tell my brothers. Mm. I didn't want them to know at all. They found out and I, I felt such intrinsic and intense guilt for all of the things that I have that I know my family didn't have access to or doesn't have access to. And it's kind of like... I think it's going to happen here. I think that black guilt thing, if ever there was a place it would really take hold, it's here. Because we're trying to to cure one extreme with another Mm. in many ways here. Mm. Right? Mm. So we've Mm. created this culture of elitism among among black folk. Right? Where we're, we're... curing extreme white privilege with extreme black privilege and that's not how you cure an extreme Absolutely. you don't cure an extreme with another extreme you Absolutely. cure an extreme with a with a balance mm-hmm. and i think einstein needs to come in here einstein needs to come in here just a little bit <laughs> a problem cannot be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it yeah and that's why that's why you cannot cure one extreme with another okay. we cannot be We cannot be, we cannot as black people afford to be exclusionary Mm. in what we're doing because we're going to have a disastrous situation. Who's creating the extreme of blackness, of black wealth? But I'm saying it's a cultural thing, even among black people, Mm. of wanting to be better than other black people. The dreams, the striving to be. Better. And it's something we need to be careful of because we're copying it. And also, you know it, what? But that's not actually, that's not the movement, though, right? Like just, it's an aspect of the movement, or it's a byproduct of a greater movement, but it is not the movement. Can I just no, say something really random? But it's it's a powerful part of the movement, as all elite sects are mm. in terms of resources and opening opportunities for the mass. Mm. That's what makes it so powerful. Mm. Um, this is this is. Quite a hectic statement that I'm about to make, but 
I wanted to say, you know, during apartheid, the white government was so good at separating us in that they separated Zulus from Kossas, right? I feel like the same thing is happening now with Triple B, E and Transformation because you're separating from a socioeconomic point of view. So yeah. there will never ever be complete unity because there will be those people who are well, those black people who are wealthier, those mm. black people who have had more opportunities, those black people who earn more. So there'll never be true unity amongst black people mm. because there's always going to be this disjuncture mm. and the separation Divide. that's which is weird because I know that like the government thinks that they're doing the best thing they can for the people and they are, but like in doing so they're isolating a huge, huge group of black people that are never going to see the benefits of triple BE that are never going to be empowered. But at the same time, a wealth must start somewhere, mm -hmm. right? So where else or in what way, in what other way, no. Should it have should it have been enforced if not in this way? Look, or or at least what what were the gaps in this? I'm not a big socialist at all. And I agree with what you're saying with wealth must start somewhere, but also wealth must start with the right mindset. Mm, exactly. Wealth and can't start really, with greed. Really, it can't start with entitlement. That's why we use history. That's why we have history to teach us. You know? How much of our history is actually taught? You know, like, I mean, I remember in high school, I barely knew the country's history. I am teaching myself this country's history because I think there's still quite a huge gap I just, in, in I our think, understanding I, I of think reality. Was, I think history was just taught very factually. Like, I don't think they, you know, spoke about characters or also, actual humans. It was just who very... Who writes history, you know, uh, yeah. who writes those textbooks, who came up with the curriculum, et cetera, et cetera, which yeah. is going to yeah. have us here all day. Literally. Mm -hmm. yeah, well. Um, but yeah, I think my biggest fear for, uh, for, for black people and for that movement is to repeat the mistakes we've seen. But I truly believe that the weight that we give to the wrong aspects of the right movement is excessive mm -hmm. because we are nullifying a lot of the great fights. No, by, and I told by, you by being you know, I agree with very you. I vocal agree with you. about the and parts I, that are, are I agree with you. I agree with you. And I told you we're being hard on black people. <laughs> yeah. We've been hard on black people or white people. No, no, no. I'm saying I told you that like uh, the reason we haven't, I think, honed in on, on, on that was because we were talking about it from a, a black guilt perspective. Yes. You know what I mean? But there definitely are parts of the movement that we're, we're leaving out. But I think for the purpose of black guilt, mm. uh, this is, this is, Probably the right conversation to have. Mm, um, yeah. Okay, and our, our final question. Ah, so, do you have any tips in terms of like identity preservation for any little black girl or boy that is likely to be adopted by a white family or a family that's of a different culture or race? Um, in terms of tips, I... I don't know that I'm in a position to, to do that because it's literally taken me 17 years to reach an identity that I'm happy with. But I think mm. you can buy some other people some time, some, give them some shortcuts at least. Um, don't nullify your roots in an attempt to fit into another culture. Don't lose your blackness and be like, actually, no, I'm done with that. I'm not listening to Professor because actually I'm listening to 
I don't know what what are they called? Um, they sing mbop. What are they called? Hanson, Hanson, Hanson. Oh, oh my goodness! Wow. No, don't knock Hanson. They have that one really great <laughs> hit. No, they do. Mbop, but I'm, it's not a, it's not a black hit. <laughs> right, fair enough. But it sounded like a black hit. That hit. What was that hit again? It the was moon and the stars. Mbop. Oh, are we no, it's, it's the moon and the stars. No, that? that's I swear, that's a different group. Is that By a different the person? Moon and Who's that? Stars Is that not Hanson? I don't think so. It's not Hanson. <laughs> but it's all but, for one. All for one. <laughs> Shucks, my whole life I went through. Listen, because I thought a small miracle was performed in that song because I thought for some reason there were these white brothers singing like black brothers, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I was like, I was blown away. I, I was so touched by that. You have no, no idea. It's, it's all for one. I swear. Oh, you just, oh my, you just Hansen crushed my was dreams. Mm, bap, bap, you just mm, crushed bap, my dreams. Bap, like, bap, a single mm, humanity, a single bap, human identity. Mm. Because I thought if some, if some white brothers can pull that off, <laughs> like we can all be the same person. <laughs> possible. Can I tell you who is bringing us closer in terms of that? Is yeah. Adele. That girl has been <laughs> sounding black. I, <laughs> I remember but when I discovered white. that she was white. No, no, no. I was like, no, no, no. Ay, yay, The gay. thing about Adele this is, is that not that the, the thing about Adele is she does the yes. best of both worlds. She been sounding black, but also white. And I mean, I love me like I love me my my rock and roll. You know, I love I me. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really do. Rock and roll, my girl. I mean, I don't know. That might be a slightly outdated term. I don't know if it's called rock and roll, but you know, maybe it's called something more cool. Yeah, it's stopped being called rock and roll in the seventies. <laughs> Oh my yeah. God, I'm so whack. My honey, you need a rewind. I'm really whack. I'm really whack. Uh, <laughs> um, let's call it a uh, blue-eyed soul. Oh, mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> but actually, I want to ask you, Lerato, because that is such a difficult thing to do to not. Put aside your identity in the presence of another very strong and overpowering identity. But how do you do that as a child? Or how do you know to do that even? <clears throat> you listen to this podcast. Hashtag <laughs> just saying. Um, you don't as a child. As a child, you do what you can to fit in and for your life to be as seamless as possible. Mm. It's the difficulty when you become an adult and then you've got to work back on <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, I can do this now, 17 years later, because I've struggled through it for 17 years. But does that As mean a, every little child has to suffer through it for those years? Every little child is going to suffer through it until they're at an age where they can identify their own identity. You know, I know of like several adopted kids where the identity stuff was so rife and they just went completely haywire. Some committed suicide. It was just, it's just, it's just this massive anomaly. So I think until you can, you're old enough and wise enough to decide who you are and who you want to be, it's going to be very difficult to, you know, go through the culture. But I think the most important thing is to research both, to mm. understand both and to try live both insofar as you can. Was there any level of guilt in you for wanting to discover your blackness when you were raised by a white family? So, there was a little bit. It almost felt like, I was going to say treason, but that seems a bit extreme. <laughs> um, it, it felt like I was um, negating that culture by looking for mine. Yeah. And it felt like that for about a year. But now I'm so happy in my black culture. Like, but also- I'm so, I'm so happy with the fact that my black culture doesn't negate 
my adoption. It doesn't yes. negate the life that I've lived. It doesn't negate anything. It's just how I feel. And also by black culture, coming from the way that I speak and the things that I like and you know, my ordering of, I don't know, sushi and preference of like willies. Like there's still very white things, but at the, right now, I'm I've glad come that to you part, can be, I'm glad that you can be honest about that stuff without feeling unblack and like you're, yeah, you're, that's you're the some thing. kind of traitor. That's exactly the thing. It's I've come to a point where I don't feel like treason is actually correct. I don't feel like mm. I'm being treasonous towards any black person for being the way that I am now. I'll enjoy my blackness. I'll enjoy my whiteness. But do you your know? parents relate to your blackness? Because I must... They don't. They're I never really exposed. Different. They're not never really exposed to it. I don't uh, I don't expose them very much to it because I think it would just remind Russian them... Russian and Chips, friend? I'm pretty sure we've shared some, some like... Oh, my goodness. Your... My mom completely loves things like Russian and Chips and black things and... You know, that kind of thing. Mm. So, yeah, there's there's no issue exposing them. But I do try to contain it insofar as I can. <laughs> um, but you also, you're fair because you know you know about things like kitchen teas. I had no idea what a kitchen tea was until uh, you told me the other day. I literally. So a kitchen tea is apparently um, what... You explain it. Um, did I really tell you the other day? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I might be the only ignorant. Look, I still call things rock and roll. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, I might I mean, just be like, <laughs> I think I don't know. As far as I know, a kitchen tea is when you're about to get married and you have like a tea party where these women bring you things that you need for your and house. And this is separate like from Tupperware and a stuff. bridal this is, shower. This is not. This is not the bachelor party or the bridal shower what so there's so a, they, they, okay. they you see, come you and you drink wow. me. you realize. drink tea and there's like this high tea stuff and they bring you your tupperwares and they bring you all of the things that are going to be necessary in your wedding and then you have the naughty stuff with your younger friends so there's a bachelorette party a bridal shower and, and a kitchen, a kitchen tea. tea. That is that. just excessive. Very many reasons to party. That's all that's about. Except the kitchen tea and no party girl. Oh, okay. It's, it's tea. Oh, literally tea. Literally, it's okay. tea. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's not even spiked. That tea. Mm. It's just tea. Just <laughs> tea. <laughs> um, you can tell none of us are married. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think you know. I, like I said, I think you're a chameleon in the best possible way. I think you can do both. I think you've honored both. The black part of you and the white part of you, and in many ways, maybe you're every man. But I think we forget how painful it is to be a chameleon. Absolutely, but I think, and I'm, and I really mean this, and I want you to to actually internalize it. I think you're every man. I really do, and I think that's always been the basis of our, our friendship. It's always what I've aspired to and admired about you is that I actually think you can relate. You're more relatable to people than than most of us, you know. And um, I just want to say, mad respect, sister. Thank you. And it's been a long, hard journey. <laughs> it really has. But so, and yeah. it, it actually sounds like you've had many breakthroughs very recently. Very recently. Mm. A lot so of tell us. Okay, recently. so just to end to end the show, tell us your current living situation and. So. I fell ill and I was in hospital twice this year. And the second time we just, 
decided that I need to live with someone who can take care of me. So I've lived with my brother and... Your biological brother. My biological brother. And my biological uncle has been there for me and my other biological brother has been there for me. And for the first time in my life, I actually understand what people feel when they talk about family. For the first time in my life, I don't feel like I have to earn love. For the first time in my life, I feel like I'm loved unconditionally. You know, not my life, my life, but my life post being 10. Um, and on a family. On a very family, you know. Based, yeah. I just, it's the most wonderful sensation. And I didn't know. Do, that do you know how to receive it? That. Do you know how to receive mm, it? So that's that's something I'm I'm still struggling with. So I, I'm constantly like I'm not pushing back, but I'm still constantly trying to earn it. So mm. I'll buy this or I'll do this for you or I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> does it then, um, in a way, feel full circle? It actually does. It actually, actually, really does. I feel like my life started out. A certain way and then went completely haywire to like complete 180 and now it's amazingly turned on itself to be what it was what I knew what I was comfortable with what I liked and you know isn't that the perfect way to end a show absolutely um, because you really have taken us on this journey with you um, and it's really been worthwhile and I think it's rare to have such open and honest and insightful conversations and I'm so proud to to be your friend. I'm so proud of, of the show. I'm very honored to see the friendship. <laughs> <laughs> it's really amazing to see. But just like that, you know, um, a conversation deals you a, a full circle. So thank you. Thank so you so much for, much for, for being here. Uh, thank you, Talita, for your contribution, as always, is is amazing. Any last words, ladies? I just want to say thank you very, very much for having me. This is the first time that I've been able to express myself in this way in a almost public forum or a public space. And I appreciate that you guys made me feel swaddled and safe. I don't even know what that means. I don't know. I, I, I was about to say, it's like, it's, it's, it's rare. When you wrap a baby. <laughs> for me to, like ask you what a word means but I'm going to do it yeah. it's when you wrap a baby in a blanket that's beautiful I'm going to use like, that all the time me too you know? me so too. so does that make up for <laughs> yeah you I feel like you're now you and I yeah <laughs> so I really um, I do appreciate that and I appreciate the fact that you let me swear a little bit and burp a little bit I appreciate Cliff Central that's who let, yes. you, sw- <laughs> let you swear that's, that's really who made this conversation yeah. happen well thank uh, you thank you thank for your kind you, words and tools thank you Honestly, that's all I have to say. I'm taken aback. Thank you. And just like that, done and dusted. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We had fun. Hope you did and learned a lot as well. Um, Yeah, and we'll we'll catch you later. Keep joining us on the Made Sessions with Cliff Central. Cliff Central. The revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.